Tune in to The Manifesto, hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. My name's Logan, and today my guest is John Williamson, the MP for New Brunswick Southwest. Hi, John. Hey, Logan. Good to be with you and all your listeners. Thanks for having me on. I want to start out with something writing, like in the writing. The Federal Electoral Districts Committee has released a plan to split... St. John into two ridings with the west side becoming part of your riding. How does how do you feel about getting more urban areas in your predominantly rural riding? Well, so look, I feel really good about it if that's what the commissioners decide. Okay. But I will say the decision is not final yet. We're expecting new maps and final maps to be released by the uh, by the commission either by the end of this year or early in the new year. Okay. And those maps are going to make the final decision. But you are right. The proposal is to put uh, St. John West into New Brunswick Southwest. And I think in many ways it's a, it's a good fit. I spend a lot of time working on Port of St. John issues. In the past, I've, I've, I've talked an awful lot and worked on things like natural gas and pipelines and of course the uh the energy east pipeline mm-hmm. to the st john uh refinery so adding adding uh st john west i think will potentially increase the voice of st john by giving it not one but two mps mm-hmm. uh and if it happens i'm i'm ready to work hard and and, and fight for people in west st john just like i fight for people in the rural parts of new brunswick southwest as their member of parliament I want to talk about Avive Can. I know you were a big opponent of Avive Can. The government scrapped it in September. Why were you so opposed to Avive Can? Well, for a couple reasons. Uh, we we found out recently that it cost Canadian taxpayers fifty four million dollars for uh, to build the app when huh. independent. Um, contractors say that app could have been built in a weekend for $250,000. We've discovered that millions of dollars were paid to consultants who didn't do any work except subcontract uh, the project out to other developers. Uh-huh. So the cost just ballooned uh, and so it's it's called the Arrive Can Scam now because we see that liberal insiders got rich off building this uh, this device. But it didn't work. That's why we were opposed to it. It didn't work and it wasn't necessary. Throughout mm-hmm. the pandemic, as people crossed into the United States, US border guards were able to determine if they were eligible to enter and check people's vaccination status. Uh, our border guards could have done the same thing. They're professional, that's what we pay them for. And still we, we instead we built this app that cost $54 million and forced people to use it. And that's really the third reason. One of the constitutional protections we have as Canadians is mobility rights, the, 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 the charter right to enter and leave Canada as we like. Mm-hmm. When the federal government put the Arrive Can in place, they told Canadians, you must fill it out, and if you don't, I, Canadians could be fined up to $5,000 plus forced into quarantine for two weeks, putting a chill 
a freeze, a pause on their constitutional rights to come back to Canada without any barriers. So it was, it was, it was costly boondoggle. It was ineffective. It didn't work. It sent the can scam, sent tens of thousands of Canadians into, into uh, quarantine unnecessarily because they got the data wrong. And at the end of the day, it put a chill on our constitutional rights to come back into this Canada, into this country, without having to pre-register. You know, I've I've traveled the countries around the world, mm-hmm. and it's 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 typically heavy-handed authoritarian governments that require people to pre-register before they come in. And here we had in Canada a federal government dictating to Canadians, in order for you to come back into this country barrier-free, you have to use this arrive can you have to load up your personal information and it, it it was just wrong on the surface wrong in practice and wrong in implementation and it cost far too much and i'm glad it's gone speaking of costing far too much inflation is astronomically high in the country right now what what yeah. does the trudeau government need to do to bring inflation down and to lower the cost of goods so they need to stop what they're doing across the board in early November, the federal government uh, released their economic forecast, mm-hmm. and it and it and and it, in the minister's speech, the finance minister's speech, and in the document, it was just one dark cloud after another. The government's warning: there's going to be, in addition to inflation rates we haven't seen in 40 years, there's going to be an economic slowdown this winter, and they're really bracing Canadians for the worst. And this is what we've gotten after seven years of uh, Justin Trudeau running the Canadian economy. We see a government that has is spending records amounts of, of money, inflationary spending. They are taxing people like they never have before. In fact, just in the last six months, federal government revenues have increased by $40 billion, a lot of that is inflationary because governments benefit when uh, when inflationary hits because uh, it drives up prices, it drives up wages, and of course, governments collect collect, collect more and more taxes. But as well, the result of all this high tax, high spending has been rising interest rates, and now we're seeing slow growth. Mm-hmm. So what the conservatives were calling for to happen prior to this economic update was for the government to stop, to if, if they want to spend on a new idea or a new program, for every dollar in new spending, they should find a dollar in savings elsewhere in the federal government. And believe me, there's plenty of waste. So we want to control spending with a, with a, with a one for one. You spend a dollar, you have to find a dollar savings. As well, on January the 1st, um, payroll taxes on, on workers is going, are going to go up again. We think this is a mistake because it just makes it harder for people to get by when more of their paycheck is going to mm-hmm. the federal government. So we said not only should those tax increases not go ahead, we also think the carbon tax, the tax on home heating uh, fuels, the tax on gasoline, uh, the tax on uh, transporting food and, and, and goods across this country, that goes up again. And the government's going to triple that tax in the next uh, couple of years. We think that should not happen as well. So our view is for government to control costs, to leave more money in the, in the pockets of Canadians so they can, they can better make ends meet, and for the government to get its fiscal house in order. 
I did see yes, I did see that the liberals are uh, planning on tripling the carbon tax over the next couple of years. I know you're an opponent to that. Can you tell us why that is such a bad idea? Because it, it hurts working Canadians, working families, mm-hmm. it hurts pensioners, it hurts people who are just getting into the workforce for the first time and don't have big salaries, mm-hmm. don't have big, big, big paychecks yet. Uh, in this province and across the country, a lot of people commute to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the carbon tax is making food and basic essentials more expensive. And look, I I represent a border riding. Mm-hmm. I'm right next to the state of Maine. And from my office, I can look out and I can see gasoline prices in, uh, in Calais, Maine. And once you factor in the exchange rate in gallons to liter, it is about 40 to 50 cents a liter cheaper for gasoline in Maine than it is in New Brunswick. So that is the, the impact of taxes and the carbon tax on fuels in this country. It drives up the price, punishes businesses, punishes families, punishes pensioners, and makes life much more difficult. And so we have the, this triple whammy coming from the Trudeau Liberals. The inflationary spiral, spiral which, 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 which they triggered with their out of control spending. We have we have rising taxes and then of course we have energy uh, energy prices that are going up and largely fueled by the taxes out of out of Ottawa. So you want to help people, you want to get the economy back to a position where things are more affordable, we need to axe the carbon tax. The a few weeks ago, the Trudeau government issued a national freeze on the sale, transfer, and purchase of handguns. What are your thoughts on that legislation or bill, whatever it was? It's a, it's a gimmick. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the liberals' fixation on law-abiding Canadian firearms gun owners is misplaced. Uh, law-abiding firearm owners are going to follow the rules. They always have... Uh, in order to own a handgun legally in this country, you have to be uh, licensed. You have to go through an RCMP background check. And, of course, there are restrictions on where and when handguns can be used legally. Mm-hmm. So the ban is going to make ownership for law-abiding firearm owners, gun owners, um, impossible. But it does nothing to get illegal guns off our streets. And this is where the Liberals are just playing politics. They, they make a big show of these announcements, which won't do anything to reduce gun crimes in, uh, in this country. And it's a, it's a mistake. And at the same time, I should say, the Liberals are pushing through um, laws in Parliament that will actually see the penalties on gun crime lowered. So on one hand, they're ratcheting the penalties on law-abiding Canadians and loosening or lowering the jail time that individuals uh, would face if they commit a crime with a firearm uh, or if they smuggle firearms into this country. It makes absolutely no sense. It is pure politics, and it's not going to do anything to get crime in this country under control. I want to bring it back to you personally. You've been an MP for a couple of terms now. What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment in Parliament? What 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 are you the most proud of? Well, I think I think it's 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 making sure local concerns 
in New Brunswick Southwest are heard in Parliament and addressed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's there's a there's a number of issues that I can point to, uh, whether it's things like the broad legal or law-abiding firearms community in Southwest, where I've 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 always ensured that law-abiding citizens should be heard in Parliament, and I've I've done that. Uh, I fought to ensure our borders um, were, were opened as soon as possible because I have so many border communities mm-hmm. uh, between New Brunswick and the state of Maine, and, and the border was closed far, far too long for no good reasons. Of course, um, I, I have talked an awful lot about Campobello and some of the challenges they had both during the pandemic with the border closure and, of course, accessing main, mainland New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Campobello is the is, is, of course, an island, uh, New Brunswick Island, and the only way on or off it throughout the year is a land bridge into Maine. In fact, I'm the only member of Parliament in Canada who has to drive through a foreign country to access part of my part of my riding. So, you know, those are those are just some of the examples. But I think I think what I'm most proud of is 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 raising local issues in Parliament, ensuring that local projects uh, are 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 looked at and and approved, and fighting for communities all over my riding. The 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 federal conservatives on their third, uh, not the third leader since Stephen Harper lost in twenty fifteen. You were a big supporter of Pierre Polyev in the leadership election. What is different about Polyev, and what will he do to win over Canadians and win the next election? Well, look, I think we're already seeing how an effective conservative opposition, opposition leader is holding the government accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Pierre has been in Parliament for a long time. He's a very strong debater, and he raised and, and most importantly, I think he's raising issues that resonate with Canadians. He's talking about how home prices under the Trudeau Liberals have spiraled up. They've gone through the roof, making home ownership very difficult, if not impossible, for the next young generation of Canadians, young families, because of uh, because of the Bank of Canada's easy money policy, which 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 printed money during the pandemic and lent it out to financial institutions that which which provided that to many people who already have homes, and they and people just. It just it just drove up the price of of, uh, of home ownership in this country. I think he's talking about pocketbook issues, things like the carbon tax, things like affordability issues that impact Canadians, whether they're just getting into the workforce or whether they're collecting a pension. So I think he's been very very effective about finding issues that resonate with uh, with Canadians, and that's why we see his his messages resonating in public opinion polls. And he's holding, you know, and, and all conservatives are holding the Liberal government accountable. You know, we're, we're targeting things like the $54 million that was spent on the Arrive Can scam. Uh, we're raising things like when the Prime Minister travels outside of the country, not only does he jet around uh, and blow carbon emissions through the roof, uh, while at the same time lecturing Canadians to do more with less, we see he's spending, uh, you know, spending over $6,000 for a single night at a hotel. I mean, these liberals are out of touch. They don't recognize the money they spend comes from hardworking Canadians. And I think uh, I think Pierre Pollard and the Conservative team, we're on the side of taxpayers, we're on the side of Canadians, we're on the side of people that work for a living <laughs> to pay the bills, 
to play, you know, to follow the rules, and, uh, and we're going to make sure their voice is is heard in Parliament. We're going to keep standing up for for these for these Canadians. A big concern across the country is housing. There's not enough housing, and the yep. price of rents is sky high everywhere, especially well, yep. especially in New Brunswick. What would a conservative government do to help help the housing crisis and fix the housing crisis? We 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 would have well two two things. First of all, we need to we we build more homes. Mm-hmm. There are too many municipal governments across this country that put just put up barriers and gates to mm-hmm. home construction, driving up the cost needlessly. As as Pierre Pollard keeps pointing out, um, Vancouver, Toronto, these are some of the most expensive places to buy a home in this country, yet unlike places like Singapore and London uh, and New York, we actually have land. Mm-hmm. Yet because of because of CUNY uh, municipal governments, they, they, they put on too many restrictions, they put on too many costs. Uh, as well, we have to ensure the Bank of Canada is no longer printing money and then driving that money into the real estate market to bid up Home, home prices uh, in a manner that makes them unaffordable for for Canadians. So it's about it's about good fiscal and monetary policy at the same time as incentivizing uh, home construction companies to build more homes, whether it's in rural Canada or urban Canada, right across this country. This has been a big issue that I've been dealing with locally. Mm-hmm. The federal government, to their credit, has taken some steps to incentivize um, builders to build more, but so much more needs to be done. We have to make home ownership affordable again so the next generation of Canadians can also uh, partake in that aspect of the Canadian Canadian dream of home ownership. Because right now, I think there are too many people who just feel they're never going to be mm-hmm. able to own a home, and that needs to change, and we will change it. I... I'm currently running for municipal politics, so I wanted to see if you have any advice for people like me who are interested in getting into politics. Well, sure. Look, I think public office is a great way to for people to serve their communities, whether mm-hmm. it's at local, provincial, or federal level, because the decisions that are made, whether it's at City Hall or in Parliament, affect the everyday lives of Canadians. And so, you know, my, my, my only real advice is if, you're, is if you're planning on running, and that's you need to go out and talk to people, talk to voters, introduce yourself, hit, uh, you know, do some door-to-door door knocking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you win elections, when by, by meeting voters, hearing their, their concerns, and explaining to voters what, how, how you're going to work hard to represent their families and their views at, uh, at City Hall. So good luck with that. Thank you. And, uh, and I just, yeah, my, my recommendation is, is just get out. You know, pub, public life is a, is, is a lot of work. Uh, it's very reward, rewarding, mm-hmm. but the work actually starts before, before the election, of course. And, uh, and it, you know, to, to have a successful election does take a lot of work. I know you've worked on campaigns before, mm-hmm. so I think you've got a sense of what has to be done, but as the candidate, at the end of the day, it's on, it's on you to go out and meet as many people as possible. Speaking of running, I, I know the fe- next federal election could happen any time between now and the fall of 2025. 
are you planning on running for re-election? Oh, I am. Okay. Look, we're, our work is just getting started. Mm-hmm. As, as effective as we are at holding the Liberal government accountable, and we'll, we'll continue to do that as long as they're in office. Look, I mean, the, 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 Justin Trudeau has his, his, his great coalition partner, the NDP, the Costly Coalition, as they're, as they're known. Um, they could govern until 2025, which is mm-hmm. a long, long time. We're going to hold them accountable. We're going to make them accountable for every bad decision, every policy they put in place that hurts Canadians, working families, pensioners. And we're going to make it, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work to fix and, and, uh, and mend legislation that we think uh, could be improved on. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm confident that we're going to be very competitive in the next election whenever it comes. And uh, we will do whatever we can. Uh, we'll work as hard as we have to to replace the Liberals and put in place a strong, stable, national conservative government that will that will bring down taxes, that will get our fiscal house in order, that will create jobs, that will restore accountability, and and also begin the process of building more homes in this country so we can correct this economy and make it more affordable for Canadians going forward. I want to ask a very riding specific answer. The Campbell, we talked about the Campbell Ferry. Yeah. Is there any plans by the federal government to help fund a year-round ferry to Campbell so people can access the New Brunswick mainland without having to cross through Maine? So, great question. This is something I've been working on for, for years now. Uh-huh. And by doing a little bit of research, um, you know, the, I, I've, been, I've been talking to the federal government about this for years, and, 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 and I was told, along with my predecessor, Greg Thompson, that the federal government does not fund uh, ferry service within provinces. But, you know, I went and I actually decided to check on that, mm-hmm. and I discovered that since 1977, the federal government has been supporting BC ferries, uh, British Columbia ferries, uh, to the tune of about $30 million a year, so BC can run ferries within its province. So I have, I believe there's an opportunity for the province of New Brunswick to partner with the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the federal government does contribute to running not only a ferry to Campobello, but also to support other ferry service within New Brunswick. You know, there's a there's a pretty simple rule in Ottawa that if a if a if a federal program is available to one province, uh, the same rules apply to other provinces. So mm-hmm. we need to, as 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 uh, as the province of New Brunswick, go to Ottawa, negotiate with them, and see that this funding that that BC gets is also extended to New Brunswick because right now it is it is uh, it's just not acceptable that Campbellow families have to drive through the United States of America to access their province, their mm-hmm. home, instead of having reliable ferry service uh, to mainland New Brunswick, the same way they do on Grand Manan, on Deer Island, mm-hmm. and other ferries throughout the, uh, the province. Uh, I want to talk about mental health. It is Mental health is a serious crisis hitting, hitting the country. I know it's not totally federal, but... Would a conservative government put like put more money and more resources into giving people the help that they need? So yeah, it, the last year and a half, we've been working on uh, first and foremost uh, 
mental health line, uh, a national mm-hmm. line that, that, that people who are in distress could turn to for help right away. Something that, that we, we passed in Parliament, but the federal government has not enacted on it yet, although they did recently say they were, they were going to get it done. So we're still waiting on that. Mm-hmm. After a long delay, uh, we seem to see light at the end of the tunnel. And look, I'm pleased to see that, that, that all governments, local, provincial, federal, are spending uh, more time and more money on mental health mm-hmm. uh, and addressing it for workers, for Canadians, for people that need need help. And this is something that uh, when our platform is released before the next election, uh, I'm confident it's going to have uh, 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 policies that improve the mental health services we have in this country so more people get the help they need when they need it. My final question is, it's the final question I ask in all my interviews, what are your opinions on changing, changing the electoral system away from first-past-the-post into something more representative so, of the population? So I'm, I support the first-past-the-post because mm-hmm. uh, I think it's worked for us. I think our system operates best on an adversarial system where we elect a government, we, we elect an official opposition, the mm-hmm. official opposition holds that government accountable. Um, I, I'm, that, but that's not to say I'm, I'm, I'm uh, completely apl- opposed to uh, different voting models. I just think the, the first past the post has, has, worked, has worked well for, for Canada. Um, I don't like a rank system, mm-hmm. um, uh, but, I, but I am open to um, a system that is, is, is more representative. So if someone gets, if a party gets 10% of the vote, they would get 10% of, of the seats. Because I think, I think new voter coalitions would, would emerge. I think, I think it would change the playing field. Mm-hmm. I think you could see, for example, uh, different conservative parties emerge, like a, like a, like a taxpayer uh, taxpayer party, for example, in some areas, or mm-hmm. libertarian. So it would change things. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but we had this debate, of course, in 2015, that Justin Trudeau said he was going to bring in a new voting system. Uh, but then, of course, he wanted the system that would benefit the Liberal Party and, mm-hmm. and the, the NDP and the Bloc uh, wanted a system that would really, truly represent the will of the voters not just uh, not just collect more votes for the for, for the liberals. So you know, I think I think we'll we'll see where this this debate goes. If there's if there's ever consensus from the political parties, it, it, it could happen. But it turned out in the last round of reforms, it was it was Justin Trudeau that uh, that um, that said no to any kind of reform that did not benefit the liberal party. Well, that's all the questions I have down for the interview. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to appear on the podcast. It's my pleasure. I hope this was informative, and uh, I hope I hope we'll be able to do it again down the road, Logan. Thank I you. I hope so too. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye bye. All the best. You take care. Bye. Oh no! I said bye bye. Yeah. You still going? No.